We're rolling. No. Counting us down. Countdowns are scary. Three. Two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. I am Tari J. I am Lex Michael. And what we do here, if this is your first time listening, is we introduce each other to different forms of media, whether it be music, television, movies, other stuff. And we look back on it, and we talk about our feelings, and we are the retrospective that's introspective. We gotta start writing this down. No, because you, I you, refuse. You clearly know what the show is. I hope by now you've you've internalized what the show is. Um, but every time it's a little bit different. Yeah, and it becomes it's like we're not on firm, we're not on firm footing, and it's I, exciting. Don't get me wrong. Every week I come in and I'm like, how how's this gonna go? Uh, but I feel like maybe we start writing this down. No, I I like that every time someone tunes in, it's a new experience. It's like slightly, it's it's like it, like it never gets stale. Cause well, it's all, you'd keep the audience on their toes, right? Because every week they tune in, it's like, do these guys know what they're doing? No, do they know what the show is? Maybe. Let's find out together, shall we? <laughs> um, and so uh, also. If uh, you want to tell us <laughs> the best way to present this information, make sure to tweet us at Missing Outcast. M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Plug, baby. Or if you just want to denigrate us for our lack of professionalism, <laughs> please don't uh, send all of your angry tweets to uh, at Tari J. Professionalism smashalism. Yep. I believe, I believe that's Elon Musk's motto. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> he put, it's, he put it, it's clear the guy who put a car in space i feel like that would that would be his mo yeah professionalism on his back. Schmer, 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 um today Schmiffy we schmaze. uh we are doing a third party recommendation yeah we actually haven't had one we've had versions of this when we've had guests come in but i think this is the first time that we've taken a recommendation from someone who is not present in body but Certainly in our hearts and minds. Yes, in our hearts and minds. Um, this was recommended by one of our good friends, Yell Teagle. Um, she's a big fan of the Fifty Shades series. The series as a whole, not necessarily of Grey. Um, and so we decided to watch the first Fifty Shades of Grey movie. Uh, kind of give our thoughts and feelings about it. Um, do We did a little bit of research about like, a little, just a little bit. Like a little bit. Like a tiny bit. But like a little, like a little bit. I will say, uh, as somebody who tries to stay uh, current, tries to stay on the pulse of like what big uh, cultural things are happening coming out of the film world, uh, I, I'm a little surprised that I hadn't gotten around to checking this out before now. Not because I felt like I was missing uh, a magnum opus. I don't think I was missing like the uh, uh, demonstration level cinematic presentation. Uh, but it's just, it's such a big thing. Yeah. I mean, the fandom for this is so massive. Like, I made it a point once upon a time to at least look at the first Twilight movie yeah. just because it was such a big deal. And I never had that urge with Fifty Shades. Um, and I want to, I guess, I guess the big thing I want to talk about is how fascinating I find this, this thing, this device, this weird 
like in this stone. It's almost like I was gonna say a diamond, but like this is definitely not a di- this movie's right. not a diamond. It's a it's a it's a gym. It's, it's a, a whatever it's a whatever it is. Gym. Like the, the um, but I am so fascinated by the thing itself and the fact that this thing has as rabid a fandom as it does. And I guess I want to r- right up top. This is not going to be, at least for me, this is not going to be uh, an hour-long conversation about how 50 Shades of Grey is bad. Like, look, you if you've heard of 50 Shades of Grey, you've, you've almost certainly heard uh, the input from wave upon wave of detractors. Right. I'm not, I've never been the type to want to add to that, even if I agree with the detractors. I, I don't need to add uh, more negativity to the conversation. I feel like we need, especially online, especially when it comes to cultural criticism, we yeah. need more positivity. We don't need more people griping uh, and and saying mean stuff to each other about about something as harmless ultimately as a movie. So this is not going to be that. Um, and I'm also the type of person who, like Tari, you've heard me say a lot. I, I believe, like, is it bad? Is literally the least interesting conversation to be had about any piece of media yeah i feel uh let's see to put it to put it uh, not to put too fine a point on it in my opinion if you're gonna lead with it's bad it sucks or i hated it and you don't immediately have a pretty comprehensive well-reasoned argument for why you feel as strongly as you do just don't say anything just like seriously just don't like don't don't burden everybody in your vicinity by foisting negativity upon them with no context at all. It sounds like you want people to walk up to you, go, I hated this thing, and then immediately walk away, which I think you guys should do. If I'm going to be honest, at least at least in this scenario, they immediately walked away. <laughs> uh, uh, but that's that's my point. This is not I'm not interested in having a conversation about why it is bad. I'm not even interested in having a conversation about whether it's bad because there is so much. Well, again, it's not The Godfather 2, but there is so much going on here that uh, tugged at my brain. And yeah. that is what I would much rather focus on, like the elements of this that I found fascinating for good or for ill. Yeah. And I don't know, uh, Tari, where you necessarily come down uh, on that scale. Um, I, I agree, basically. My focus in this was to kind of figure out what the, the general appeal was. And that was kind of the angle that I was coming in from. Mostly because, like, I know that there have been a million different hot takes on Fifty Shades of Grey and, like, the Twilight series. Like, there's nothing that we can say in this show that probably hasn't been said in some long, dumb think piece. Um, I also kind of want to front load this, uh, this, I guess, disclaimer by saying that we are not relationship experts or experts on BDSM. So like anything that we say about either of those aspects um, are our opinion. And, oh, the and other, not, the other uh, thing that you're fact. not going to hear from me is kink shaming either. Right. Because that, that honestly, the, the bondage stuff is the least weird element of this story to me. Right. Um, but we, oh man, like we gotta, we'll get, we'll get into the weeds here in a little bit, but yeah, no, no, um, certainly no kink shaming. Yeah. Absolutely not. Like that, uh, that really does no, like seriously felt like the healthiest part of their relationship was uh, no, but like, I'm not, it's, I guess it's funny, but like, that's not a joke. Like that stuff actually felt like the least psychopathic elements of their relationship by, right. by quite a bit. And it's only, it's only the juxtaposition of those elements that made, I found the sex scenes in this movie incredibly uncomfortable, not because of the BDSM aspects at all, because of the way the rest of their relationship contextualized those scenes for me right 
But yeah, no kink shaming. Yeah. Not not on this show, folks. Never. No, sir. Not not in my book. In my book, that's okay. That's it. Okay. <laughs> I like on. to imagine that your book is the um, fan fiction of this fan fiction. Um, that's, so- okay, so that's something... Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to... Because you said that, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's something I wanted to talk about. Yes. So we... So, okay. As the story goes, right, Fifty Shades of Grey was originally conceived as Twilight fan fiction. Right. Literally was. Not like, these are so similar, it might as well be a copy of the other. No, right? It was, it was literally intended to be a Twilight knockoff. Yes. Twi- well, so originally, um, E.L. James, a British uh, writer, um, that didn't mean that to sound as mean as it did. Um, but uh, like <laughs> this, this E.L. James just turned off the podcast. <laughs> uh, this was her first piece of work. So like this is the first thing that was published was Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, so originally the stories were on Twilight fanfic forums. And so, like, they had all of the same names, like Edward, Bella, um, the other, Jacob, all that stuff. And then uh, when they went to kind of pivot to, to, to publish, they, they changed all the name and made it its own original thing. Right. I mean, uh, largely at that point, right, presumably entirely to avoid litigation. Right. Right. And so uh, it became less about vampires, uh, and they kept all the... the the sexual aspects of the the books, which was the the main appeal of it, the main thread that ties the two together is the relationship dynamic between Edward and Bella, which is this guy who is obsessed with this younger, inexperienced girl. Yes. Um, and so that is the the main core of this story. And eventually, it was published into three books, and those books became movies. Uh, and then that brought us here today. So I bring it up because you referenced this this idea of it being almost like a copy of a copy. Right. So at a certain point, I really while I was watching the movie, I actively started thinking about this and about how Twilight. And again, this is not a conversation about how Twilight is bad or whether Twilight is bad. I think it's pretty undeniable, though, that there's not there's nothing stunningly original in the Twilight stories. A lot of what's in Twilight felt like a distillation of a ton of tropes and elements that we were seeing. We were, we're starting to see a lot more of, uh, especially in the young adult genre, following, I, I would say, probably the massive success of the Harry Potter books. You, you saw a flood of uh, young adult series that I think were looking directly to ape its success without without let's say, uh, uh, the caliber of writing. Right. In that sense, I feel like you could almost argue that Twilight, if not a copy, is certainly uh, almost an aggregate of other elements. So you have, let's let's shorthand it and say copy, even though that might be a little uh, ungenerous, let's shorthand it by saying copy. So if that's the case, then E.L. James's Fifty Shades of Grey is actually a copy of a copy. Right. And what I started thinking about pretty actively while I was watching the movie Fifty Shades of Grey, have you seen Multiplicity? Are you familiar with the movie Multiplicity? Yes, Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton, who uh, clones himself. People, yes. He clones himself, essentially. Right. And he clones himself. They've they've uh, worked cloning. It's been a long time since I've seen this movie, but the way I remember it, they've mastered cloning technology such that it's almost like just making a photocopy of yourself. Yeah. Um, but what ends up happening is, you know, he makes, he makes a, a bunch of additional clones of himself to you know, take the workload off. He can spend time with his kids, but he can also be at work, he, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I guess to optimize efficient efficiency and have more hands to go around at one point, one of the copies copies itself 
And what you have is a Michael Keaton clone that, because he's a copy of a copy, is a little bit dimmer. S- dimmer, yeah. let's say. He behaves, he looks like uh, a M- Michael Keaton. But because he's a copy of a copy, he's missing some innate, uh, I, I guess, connection with with himself. He's missing a, a step or two when it comes to fully behaving like an actual person behaves. Yeah, that's how I felt watching Fifty Shades of Grey. It is a it is a copy of a copy, and as such, it looks the way I think one of these stories is meant to look. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't it feels like it's constitutionally incapable of behaving that way like it feels like it feels like you tasked an extraterrestrial with writing uh, a a romantic uh, a romance between two people who are are, uh, emotionally disconnected and and find each other through their kinks it's like you handed you pitched it to an extraterrestrial and you had aliens make this movie that's what it behaves like right. I, does that does that track like yeah it, that makes sense right it feels it's there it's it's the right shape it looks like a like a person yeah but there's not there's nothing happening in here like what's what's going what's the internal life of this thing and yeah. yet it it exists on the surface and presents like anything else right i mean and at its well i would say that like so there's this chart that i once seen i can't credit wherever it came from because I do not remember but it was talking about the life cycle of a creator and it starts with like inspiration you see a thing that you really enjoy and then the next step is imitation and then from imitation it goes to um like uh like what is the the next one the next one is basically like you have to make it your own right and then from there you're like you know, you build your audience, blah, 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 because they connect with what make what you, which is what makes it special. And so it feels like we got the the first step, which is the inspiration, and then the second part, which is imitation. But then there was never the additional layer of the uh, revelation. There it is. The prestige. Yeah, the prestige. Um, yes. And so uh, I think that but I think that that aspect of it is also part of the, the appeal in that it gives this idea that people who uh, take these things that they love and are able to filter it through their own fantasies and their own uh, experiences uh, can, can have these, the, like what they've made turned into a book or a movie. It, and, and that aspect of it. it like it doesn't feel as polished it feels super related i got i got stuck on something you said a second ago because it's another i think perfect metaphor for what this movie feels like and it's you were describing that chart and you were describing the growth process of an idea yeah. and it really it's like the growth process of this idea was stunted at a certain point it's almost like the movie does in a way almost feel like an emotionally stunted adult hmm. um it presents as an adult yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't have like the the character, the experience, the fortitude, any of it to like support what it's presenting. Right. I, actually, it really is. It's like an emotionally stunted grown up. Yeah, and uh, so I, I guess we should give somewhat of a for those who haven't seen it or people who haven't seen it in a long time. We should probably give them kind of like a a synopsis of what happens. Right. Like I'm not sure. Could be, I'm open to being mistaken. I'm not sure this story is actually about anything on a thematic level. 
So we'd really just be describing what happens. And even that is a pretty short conversation, right? Because what happens is like Anastasia Steele, she's a she's in college, she's a grad student yeah. maybe. Um, uh, the details of undergrads, this. Undergrads, I believe. By the way, the details of the story uh, seemed so unimportant as I was watching it. And I discovered pretty quickly afterwards, a lot of them just dripped out of my brain. Yeah. Uh, but broadly, she's a student. She's about to uh, graduate, finish whatever track that she's on. And she ends up in the office of Christian Grey. Okay, here's my first question. And and I apologize if the movie actually answers this question explicitly. Like I said, the details really did not Is stick. your question, what does Grey Industries do? That is my question. Yep. What does this dude do except have money? It doesn't matter? And I guess no, ultimately it's not like it's not like there's a plot hole or anything. There's no reason that we need to know explicitly what he does. But I yeah. kept fine. What does this company do? Because it doesn't seem like he has any job it seems like his job is to hang out in a suit in this office <laughs> and like he has this story he has this sorry we were describing what this was and like i went way off no. on this tangent he described but i guess that speaks to the point that like i don't this movie isn't really about much of anything right he has that spiel at a certain point uh later in the movie when he talks about like his mother and how his mother like wasn't his mother like a a, a prostitute, prostitute and like addicted to crack, crack. And, like, yeah, all, yeah. so like he doesn't come from means yeah. So how did he do this? How did he find his way into this position? Because it's not like he he worked really hard and he lucked into a job and he worked his way up in a company. It's ostensibly his company. Yeah. His name is on everything. What does he do? He's a CEO. He chief executive officer. Right. Like he just you right. Know? Like he just CEOs. Uh, that was actually one of the like first questions that came up when I was doing a little bit of Google researching, I was like 50 shades of gray. Um, what? And it was like, does gray industries do like it's not, but yes. Yep. I mean, it's a, it's a big question and it, it's implied that he does humanitarian stuff and we get that scene that is, um, it, it makes me laugh cause it reminds me of the, uh, the three kids in a trench coat in uh, BoJack Horseman. I don't know. You watch BoJack Horseman, right? Uh, I've seen some of it. What I've seen of it speaks very loudly to the idea that this is very much a show for me, and I just haven't gotten around to actually jumping in fully. Yeah. Uh, I think you, yes, I think you really like it, but there is, um, I forget the, I want to say the, the main kid's name is Kevin, but like he goes by, his name is like Kevin Businessman. Um, <laughs> Kevin Businessman. I like it. And he and at certain points he's like on the phone and he's like very, business very business. subtle. That's yeah. exactly what. That's exactly how you throw people. <laughs> and, and so that's there was the scene where um, where Christian was he like got the important business call and he's like what when business important stuff gotta go and it's just like his buddy it's like his buddy Dave <laughs> he's like Dave it's very important at two fifty three p.m. exactly. That you call my phone doesn't matter what you're saying, but say it loudly. Like, yeah. just make sure that whoever is in the room with me can hear that something very urgent is happening on this line. And it's just like it's Dave; he's yelling about sports or something. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I imagine that you know, uh, Gray Industries uh, is building a weather machine, and they're trying to make sure that they can control the weather. To, Isn't that to the help plot? Crops. Isn't that the plot um, of um? 
the Avengers movie, not Marvel Avengers, the Avengers based on the old British TV series Avengers, like uh, uh, Emma Peel and uh, Steed. Uh, they did a movie in the 90s okay. starring uh, Uma Thurman and Ray Fiennes, and the villain was Sean Connery, and I believe his whole plan revolved around building a weather machine. Oh, is this the one with the the bears like the giant dancing bears anyway that i do not remember i've seen i saw this movie once it was in the 90s like around when it would have hit cable yeah would be the only time i've seen this so i can't tell you about if there's bears in it if it's sean connery like being the the puppet master behind an army of dancing bears who who control the weather i'm down i don't know why there aren't 14 of these yeah why wasn't this harry potter um because sean connery had already retired by then yeah, by the way, like, he's still out there somewhere. Yeah, there just was not, hanging out. Not too long ago, like, within the past six months, they somebody snapped a photo of him somewhere. Yeah. And that was, like, I, I literally, I remember I remember talking to people about, <laughs> this is uh, an act, this is a thing with me, I guess, uh, about, like, do we know if he's alive? Do we know if he's, is he okay? Like, he retired, did he, re- he I, like, he not only retired from acting, but it seems like he retired from public life altogether. Yeah. And then suddenly, photographic evidence, he's still Ooh. there. It's like a Bigfoot sighting. I'm actually not convinced it's not somebody in a Sean Connery suit. <laughs> Just trying to get them numbers up. He's blurry. Sean Connery's a blurry person. Oh, man. Um, anyway. So uh, Christian Gray has works a weather for machine. an unknown, a company that does unknown things. He has a meet cute with uh, Anastasia Steele. Who's there where, on behalf of, it looks like on behalf of a friend of hers yes. to get him to answer some questions. Yeah. So it's basically for the school paper. And one of the, all the questions are super inappropriate. So one of them was like, are you gay? And he's like, you can't ask, ask me that. Like, why? And then another one was like, why are you successful? Um, and <laughs> that, so he, the weather machine. Yeah. Duh. And he shames that's what, that's her. why my business card says, Christian Gray, I make weather machines. <laughs> you got to get them gray skies. Boom. Uh, Boom. Boom. Uh, Boom. Boom. Uh, you know who? Do you know who Christian Gray reminded me of? Who? Danny Rand. Reminded yep. me very much of Danny Rand, the Iron Fist, who also, despite having an entire corporation to run, does not seem to have a job. No, not no. at all. Once you get successful enough, you don't have to do anything. You just roll around in money and take phone calls every so often. Here's here's the other thing. I don't want to. You know what? Okay. I know that Jamie Dornan is a capable actor. There's a, a series he did, did I think does still, I believe it's still ongoing, uh, with Gillian Anderson called The Fall. I think you can see the first two, three seasons of it on Netflix, which is yeah. how I caught it. It's great, and he is great in it. So it might it may be because he was tasked with playing a non-person, but Christian Grey feels entirely like a non-person to me. And that yeah. could that could just be that could be true on paper. I've never read Fifty Shades of Grey. It this could be a perfect translation of the source material. And if you tell me it is, I buy it, if only because of the copy of a copy nature of the thing to begin with. Right. But there's no person there. Like if he feels like Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, except in American Psycho the effect of him being a non-person of his face being a mask and there being nothing inside is intentional. And yeah. I don't know if that was supposed to be intentional in this case and i don't i feel mean taking a shot at jamie dornan dornan which is why i made it a point to shout out some of his other work somewhere else right so jamie dornan don't at me i like your work two things so speaking of the fall the serial killer comment in the hardware store was a cute nod to that oh was it um yes 
and because uh, it wasn't in the original book and it, it wasn't in, it was like an ad lib anyway um and second thing is yes i believe he was supposed to be a very like the reason why he registers that way is i think in the intended in the in, original writing or in the book um he's supposed to be this really collected controlling guy and so like everything that he does is supposed to be very measured and very like collected and, and intentional. And so that, I think that is why he is that way because that's kind of how Edward was where he was very like non-feeling, non-emoting because he's like this ageless thing. Um, and it's, I feel like by the end you're supposed to, you're supposed to feel like, or I guess you're supposed to glean that, the only way that he can feel or express himself is through the punishment of others, which is problematic. And we can talk about that, but like, that's, I believe why the, the performance registers that way. And but, right. And like on the page, I suppose it tracks that these are less characters and more ideas, right. like more ciphers for like, I haven't, again, I have not even picked up and flipped through 50 shades of gray. I have picked up and flipped through uh, the first twilight book. Yeah. And what seems now again like there are big there are big fans of this series and and I'm open to being disagreed with on this point but what I gathered from it was that like Bella is not really a character at all. Bella is there essentially so that the reader can put themselves in that position. Like Bella's completely blank. Right. There's no, and that by the way is why I think a lot of people thought Kristen Stewart was a bad actress for a while because she was tasked with playing a character that was not a character at all where there was nothing there on the page yeah so that she could function as a cipher for whoever picked up the book through that prism it does track that these people are less people and more ideas that you can project who or whatever you want to on yeah and i think that kind of going back to the idea of the the main appeal of like the books and the movie uh i think specifically the books is that all of it's to told from anastasia's perspective and essentially people I, I was told by Yell when she was uh, when we when she and I were talking about the series is that like when it came out, it had a very big appeal in the middle middle America. And um, it's because it was kind of a, a newer risque kind of thing. And by newer, I mean, it new, wasn't new something that like some of this audience. Right. Yes. Um, Definitely not something you you spoke of over dinner. Right. And now it's nothing but BDSM talk at supper time all the time. Hell yeah. And so like in it and in the original book, it wasn't even necessarily about the BDSM. It was about like how the the sex was uh, described and it was very explicit and it was a way it was basically like the um, those like old Fabio romance novels where you're talking about your like quivering member and all those things. Like it was, it was graphic and allowed people to really like, especially the older women who were partaking of this book, it allowed them to kind of, I'm stuck on quivering member. <laughs> Everyone gets stuck on the I'm quivering. Member. On, has your member like ever quivered? Um, I, I'm going to look out for this. For now, some man. reason, I actually just imagine like a, a quiver like you have with archery filled with, with like dicks? penises. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like you just putting in a bunch of dicks in this quiver. Um, so anyway. Um, so that, that, that wouldn't be a quiver. That would be a member quiver. Maybe. All right. But 
It's the act of quivering the member. Anyways, but I've like, never I've never seen a quivering member, but I have seen a member quiver. So uh, <laughs> I like I like that you are ready to move on, and then you're like, wait a second. It's like you're out the door, and you realize you forgot your keys. <laughs> yep. Um, so and and because uh, the storytelling of uh, Fifty Shades of Grey and the other Fifty Shades series. Um, I, I was reading a Business Insider article about like people's reactions and their appeal, and they were talking about how the story itself is basically it's 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 a I I for lack of a better phrase it's a tale as old as time in that it is just like Beauty and the Beast or uh, Pretty Woman or, or Taming of the Shrew things of that sort where it is this like uh, antisocial monstrous person who uh who meets a young inexperienced uh innocent girl and they like change each other in some way more that this innocent girl makes the beast less beastly i'm not sure that that happens in 50 shades it it is in it at its like core that is it's just it was right i mean i i agree like that it completely tracks Uh, i just uh, Fifty Shades doesn't feel like it. Now, granted, I've only seen chapter one right. of, of a trilogy, so it may very well resolve that way ultimately. But at least in this first act, it did not seem certainly to resolve that way for me at all. In fact, because it didn't resolve that way, because it seems like she changes for him, certainly more than the other way around. Yeah. Felt a little little icky, maybe. And again, not because of the kink aspect of it, more because of the lady completely changing for a dude of it all right so yeah i i yes i really want to talk about this this relationship dynamic because that's pretty much where that's all the story that there is is what we've hit and then it turns into this relationship and their relationship dynamic makes up the rest of the movie essentially yeah and so you were you were talking about the ickiness of it and i especially now where we have a lot of incidences coming to light about abuses of power. And you have this guy who's like the CEO who essentially like gets this girl who is not even out of college yet, uh, who came in for an interview and, and becomes obsessed with her and uses his money to keep pulling her back in. So every time she tries to get away, he's like, Hey, here's a gift. Here's some money. Let me do more sex stuff to you. Um, and like she's it's, it's a very yeah, it's a very weird uh, in the Me Too moment. It's a very very weird movie to pick apart, right? Because you don't you don't have to work very hard to to start arriving at that type of of ickiness. Yeah. What's interesting too is like you went you went there when I referenced the ickiness, and yeah, I mean that's absolutely there in just as great abundance as this other thing. But this other thing that I was referring to when I was talking about how icky it feels has to do with, okay, so the metaphor that I came up with, because I was talking to a couple of friends at a certain point, and I was trying to explain to them what my experience was watching the movie and why, not less why the movie made me feel uncomfortable and more I was trying to convey the way in which it made me uncomfortable. And this is the metaphor that I came up with. Imagine you're in a lab, this Mm -hmm. very clinical, sterile environment. And you're watching a semen sample in a vial slowly freeze in a cooler. Okay. Right. So see what your face is doing right now? Now, obviously, if you're listening, you can't see Tari's face. But 
it's like contorted into a half grimace. So that's what I'm talking about because you're in this very clinical, sterile environment. Everything feels very disconnected, uh, very, very medical, very clinical is the best word I can come up with. And every so often it's punctuated with these weird, like viscerally, like feelings of discomfort and unpleasantness. Yeah. That feeling, but, but at a remove too, it's not like you get the shit on you, uh, at a remove that feeling of like clinical sterility punctuated by moments of discomfort and unpleasantness was how I felt watching this movie. That's what I meant when I said icky. Right. But since you brought it up, yeah, there's this whole other equally icky thing happening in terms of subject matter. It's, but that speaks to what I was saying uh, at the top of this conversation. There's a lot more to discuss here than whether or not it's objectively good or bad. Like right. this movie is fascinating, if not spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you talk about their, their relationship and, and I, again, at the beginning, I front loaded this, that I'm not an, a relationships expert and I'm not an expert on, on BDSM or anything like that. So my, my talking about it is uh, wholly my thoughts and opinions. And if I'm wrong, please let me know and please correct me. I'm open to discussion. But like, I feel like we, so we talked about him changing her and her changing him. And there's the big issue with their relationship is that like, you can't make someone into a submissive. Like, that's not how that works. Right. Both people, a person uh, decides whether they are a dominant or a submissive through experience and through the things that that they derive pleasure from. And essentially, if you are uh, a dominant, then you find someone who is submissive uh, and then you guys find the way that you guys bring each other pleasure. There's a lot of discussion and there's a lot of communication about like how things are going to work. Right. Um, and there's no reason that that can't be completely healthy. Again, no king shaming, but it's predicated on communication and on trust and, yes. on, and on mutual respect. Now, granted, if you happen to I don't know, I don't know why they're doing this at a park, but if you happen to be out and walk by a couple engaged in BDSM activity, it may look on the surface like some totally unsavory shit is happening that may not be mutual. But if they're in a healthy, loving, supported, supportive relationship, there's no reason it can't be. And in fact, I would argue that it, it is necessary right. for, for that to be, healthy like like it absolutely can be what i what what through me is that that relationship for these two characters seems to extend well beyond the confines of the bedroom well beyond any mutually agreed upon uh, uh trust or circumstance and that by the way is actually really uh, that's compelling stuff to explore from a character and story standpoint but uh-huh. it doesn't seem like i can't t- to be honest i can't even tell if this movie is aware of all of that happening. You think it it must be, especially like in the in the sex contract scene. Yeah. I felt like the sex contract scene and and uh Anastasia's Anastasia on Dakota Johnson. Anna. Dakota Johnson. Yeah. Uh her her willingness to step up and be an active participant, which Gray comments upon. I think maybe that scene is intended to communicate this is a mutual thing that they're they're coming to a place of trust and understanding on to a point i don't know that i think it if that's the intention i don't know that i think it was effective 
enough to cast the rest of their relationship in a different light. Right. And that, again, more than more than anything depicted in the movie as far as sex acts, that's what made the love scenes feel unsavory to me, is that it didn't feel it did not feel contextualized within something trusting and loving and supportive. It felt like a man taking advantage of a woman and a woman allowing herself to be taken advantage of because it's steamy. I mean, I don't, well, cause she doesn't have, she doesn't have the experience or the knowledge to like, know what I, you can tell that this is probably her first relationship. She doesn't have the, the, the confidence or the, or the, like background to really not background, but like the confidence or the experience to know that this is a abusive or, or know that like she can essentially say no in, in these uh, in this scenario. And she says no a lot like that through her actions and through her um, her words. Like there are a lot of times where she's like, I'm leaving. No, I'm in her hesitation to sign the contract also is a is a polite no. Like there are a lot of no's in this scenario that go real quick sidebar because you brought up the contract scene again. Yeah. It's lit like Blade Runner 2049 (laughs) and it predates Blade Runner 2049. So sorry, Deacons. Fifty Shades did it first. Oh, damn. That's when when they don't give you your well-deserved Academy Award this time. Whoever (laughs) wins is going to walk by you with that statue and be like Fifty Shades did it first. Damn. Um, anyway, yes. Uh, but but because this is something... Now, this is not unique to this movie, certainly. This is a, a really weird, icky thing you see in, in romantic comedies going back as long as there have been romantic comedies. R- romance stories on screen. Yeah. She says no a whole bunch, and he won't take no for an answer. Yeah. And is ultimately rewarded for not taking no for an answer. Yes. So that is another thing that I wanted to talk about, is that... I, I think that there's another aspect in that I think that I think that Christian was very upfront about what he was looking for. And I think that Anastasia is is representative of a a, a toxic view of romance in that there's this idea that when you're with someone, you can change them or like y- you can state your want and that means that they have to comply. And so like she spends a lot of the movie being like, Hey, um, why won't you let me touch you? Why won't you just have sex with me? And he's like, look, from the beginning, I've told you that I don't sleep with people. I don't, um, I'm only, I'm not looking for romance. I'm only looking for hard sex. Like these are things that I've stated from the very beginning and all she can hear is oh romance. God, you're right. This line, this amazing, I remember I heard he has the line where he, he looks right at her and he goes, right, he's like, I don't make love. I fuck. I fuck hard. <laughs> and I immediately, I jumped on the messenger and I was like, I have to tell everyone about this. <laughs> it's like that. I just, uh, it, because it felt so, it felt like a mission statement for the entire movie, I guess. Yeah. No, but you're talking about, you're talking about how he, you're right. He doesn't lie. He doesn't he doesn't present himself as something he isn't. It's just what he is, is super manipulative and abusive. Yes. And she, she's, but, uh, but again, like that's not unique to this movie. Like even, okay. Um, you've got mail. One of the, I, I would, uh, inarguably, I would, I would say one of the most popular romantic comedies of all time. Uh huh. 
if you examine the behavior of Tom Hanks's character in that movie, it's actually pretty monstrous. He, he, especially in the end, once he figures out that the person he's been communicating with is Meg Ryan, he knows uh, she doesn't. And he uses that fact to like lie and manipulate her so that they're in a position where he can like the big reveal. And it was it was the guy you had a rivalry with all along and we're really perfect for each other. But this only happened because I lied, manipulated and I could have just been forthright, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You don't notice because Tom Hanks is one of the nicest, most charming people on the planet. Point being Every time, and the once I started to become aware of it, you can't not see it in stories like this. Guys that, it's presented as so romantic, these big sweeping romantic gestures that are predicated entirely on a man being told no and refusing to accept no. And essentially, uh, over the course of the story, and uh, ultimately in many romantic comedies, yes, it does culminate in these, these big dramatic gestures, uh, effectively wearing the woman down. Yeah. Until she finally goes, yeah, all right, I guess. But she usually does it with like a big smile on or like tears in her eyes right. or whatever. Um, so again, like not, yeah, not not unique to Fifty Shades in the slightest, but it was super icky every time. Yeah, I mean, I think that because that, in that context, the, that idea of wearing a woman down is the male fantasy. And like the appeal of Fifty Shades of Grey was the the like titillating sex aspects the the romance parts were more incidental and they were just forays for them to have the sex um and like so i imagine that the first part of conceptualizing this book was like cuz it's not like when she was making she when she was writing it she needed to develop these characters in any way shape or form cuz the development was done for her it was the um, it was done in a movie series about vampires. So everything that you needed to know in these original stories was given to you in another series. And so all she had to do was take all the context and all the baggage of those characters and put them in a bed together and have them fuck for, like, hours. Like, so when you transpose that idea into your its own IP, then essentially you you either have to create that new context, which happens more in the second and third version where you find out about, uh, about Christian's parentage and you find out about like his, his previous, uh, submissives and things of that. Do sort. you ever find out what he does? Uh, probably not. Um, uh, I wanna, but I really, I really want to know, but like, that's what's the, that's, what's missing is that it's, when you strip all the previous context and all the previous baggage, you're just left with these vessels which were originally full of um, full of canon. And now they're just two dolls that you're slapping against each other um, sexually. And like that, <laughs> that's, that idea, that's a visual. Yes. Um, and that, I think, in terms of... Because someone, uh, I think it was in... The same uh, business uh, business insider article where someone was saying like the big thing is that like they they made what you know sells uh, it, which is pornography. It's it's basically written porn. It really does. It, that's the other thing I thought of uh, frequently while I was watching this movie. It really does feel like it feels like it was made for people who watch porn and get really into the story. 
Yeah. So it's like, let's just make a movie that's that. Right. And and it succeeds in that regard. In that, like, I think when you read the book and you're like, oh, yeah, she's totally, like, going down on him. And he's, like, totally putting his fingers in places. Um, I know how sex works. Don't worry about that it, That reminded me of that scene in, um, in Zack and Mary Make a Porno when they go for their first take and it's super awkward and Rogan comes in and he's like, I have some cream for you. <laughs> um, yeah, but see, see, now I'm stuck on... You keep, you keep saying things and then I feel bad because I, I interrupt you all the time. <laughs> but I'm like, fuck, don't lose, don't lose the thread of this one thing. You, the visual of the two of them smacking, just two dolls smacking against each other. Yeah. That is actually a pretty accurate representation of how sexy the sex is in this movie. This is some of the least sexy sex that I've ever seen. And you'd think, because there's a lot of... They don't shy away from nudity. Yeah. They don't shy away from like actually depicting some of some of these acts in a way that, yeah, you definitely don't see in a movie theater all that often. Um, but it feels about as sexy as going to the doctor. Like, yeah. it really... Maybe it's just because Christian Grey seems like such a psychopath, but I really... Like, I start thinking about uh, uh, Dead Ringers. I start thinking about, like, uh, how the, the mantles, like, when they start to go crazy they have these horrific they're, they're gynecologists and they have these horrific uh, uh almost like darth dark dark gothic weaponry looking gynecological tools created mm -hmm. that is the type of shit that i thought about watching the sex scenes in this movie like it really felt like this was a a clinician about clin there's that word clinical again yeah um that there was a clinician about to perform a procedure on this woman that's about how sexy i found the sex well i think it's because Kind of going back to what you were saying earlier about how they're not being kind of a mutual respect. I think that the steamiest, hottest, sexiest scenes are scenes where there is like a lot of chemistry. And it's two people who absolutely want to have sex with each other and they're giving it their all. Whereas it feels like he is doing sex to her. <laughs> yes, uh, that is a really good way to put it. It right. very much feels like sex is something that he is inflicting upon her. <laughs> Um, and, and that's, I think the core of the issue and why the sex scenes are so, uh, it doesn't, isn't, doesn't feel as if she wants it that much. And like, and her, her inexperience, um, shines through and it just makes it all the more high, highlative. It highlights even more, um, their like power dynamic and the differential between the two which which again would be really fertile ground for interesting character exploration if it seemed like the movie was i was gonna say interested capable of really exploring that but again like interested is more fair because it doesn't seem like the movie makes an attempt to explore this stuff and fails it just seems like they're not really all that interested in it right and so, like, in my notes, I wrote, no foreplay. Come on, dude. Um, and that's, I think, the biggest issue is there's there's no foreplay. It's just like, yo, I'm going to ram my dick in your vagina. And it's like... It doesn't work for you? No. <laughs> like, you got to, like, you got to set the mood, girl. Damn, you got to, like... I don't know. If you said that to me, I'd know what's up. You'd know what's up, but you'd be like... <laughs> And there's nothing in it for me. I, <laughs> I would. I'd be like, uh oh. Because <laughs> uh, like, just from a, a from a sex standpoint, um, penile vaginal sex uh, only. Come on, g get your face together. Uh, penile just, vaginal I, sex. No, I'm just like, I want to see where this is going now. It, it it's not it like uh, I don't remember the exact statistic, but women don't get off as much 
from penile vaginal sex as like well, men do every time because like men are, are it doesn't it doesn't take to, very much right yeah um and so like if you really want to give a woman an orgasm like the the best ways are clitoral stimulation and so like and that Can you're you when you're do, right yes down, write that shit down no yo clitoral how do you everyone. spell clitoral clitoral Clitum- stimulation. stimulation you go down on your girl <laughs> I don't care if you, you, you like that is how you get your woman off. I don't like saying these things, but like because I'm, I'm a though. conservative boy. Like watching um, watching you like with your with your uh, fists up, guarding your face, just like <laughs> wading through this part of the conversation. Um. So like there, and I think that there's only one moment we see him go down on her, and we don't know how long that lasts. Uh, he like ties her up. Uh, he like starts to go down, or maybe he's just kissing her. Her, um, her like lower pelvis before he just does his one-eyed snake dance, and like I, um, I just feel like if you're going to try to make this movie sexy, you gotta do what people like and what actually lets people uh, climax. You know what I'm saying? In theory. <laughs> You know what I'm saying. I audience, I, you know what I'm saying. You know what you know how sex works. <laughs> I know how sex works. I know how sex works with Tari J. Miller. Very much, very much. I, I like that you found a way to backdoor pilot the ooh to uh <laughs> to seed in. This is like when Barry Allen showed up on Arrow. That's what you just did. This is a way for you to like backdoor pilot your I know what sex is with Tari J. Miller <laughs> podcast. Yeah, um, it'll be launching every Thursday, uh, so make sure you you like and subscribe. I'll tweet out the the URL. Yep, that's it. I know sex. Tari Miller. It's going to show up in the same feed. It's coming at you whether you want it or not, <laughs> just like Christian Grey. Jeez. Um, oh, so, yeah. Um, there. Yeah, there, so there was a lot of things happening in this movie but all of it really does and you talked there are moments there are moments of chemistry between between dakota johnson and jamie dornan again i don't think that this is necessarily a mark against them as actors and again the the example that i would give is twilight a lot of people came away from twilight not thinking very highly of the abilities of the two leads yeah i think even just this past year there are a couple movies that came out uh that should put that entire debate to bed. These are two very strong actors that didn't come off looking great because the material didn't give them anything to do. Right. I feel similarly to the two actors in this situation, although I guess time will bear me out or not on this, but there are moments where it seems like the two of them really do connect. Even in the the sex contract scene, there are, even though the scene itself is something uh there are moments where it feels like these you see humanity in these two people even in christian gray who is basically a psychopathic robot throughout this entire movie (laughs) um you actually see little bits of shared humanity and then it it goes away and it get like it really does feel like extraterrestrials were handed like the the treatment for this movie and we're like let's this is how people romance yeah and okay it feels like a uh there are moments in the movie where like a human writer came and like punched up the scene for them yeah and then left <laughs> um yeah i i really am interested to to read the original script so um the writer kelly kelly marcel um she basically wrote her own version um that she it was more like the there was more sex in it she wanted it to be nc17 and then uh for, 
not for some reason, but JL, uh, E.L. James had a lot of creative control. So uh, she was part of the process from beginning to end. Yes. Um, and so they they butted heads a lot um, in terms of rewriting because she wanted to be accurate to the book as much as possible. So there were a lot of changes that they had to do uh, in terms of like making it fold back into the original source material. Yeah. So I'd be really interested to see what um, what Kelly did. Uh, Kelly? Yes. See what Kelly did um, in her original draft because I imagine that she kind of – a lot of the, the issues that we might have with it, she may have kind of smoothed over as being a professional writer. Um, I think she kind of – she probably took out some of the like – tropes because i feel like this movie is a lot of the tropes without the like heart and that's that's usually what allows us to love the tropes is like the interconnecting heart character pieces right um and so i'm really interested in that aspect of it and speaking of the writing um so there is i want to i want to state this because we've talked about a lot of pieces of the movie and i and we specifically were like, ain't no kink shaming. And so, like, I, I really want to make it clear that if you are into BDSM, it is not because you were abused as a child or that you have some kind of, like, issue. It's, it's right. It's not because something is wrong with you. Yeah. It's like it's just a it's a sexual preference like anything else. If you like, like definitely don't like no kink shame from us. But folks definitely don't walk around kink shaming yourself. Right. Um. I just because this this movie. I, I I assume that um I and a bunch of like BDSM uh experts assume that uh El James doesn't have a lot of experience in the community. It really does feel um, a, a lot of the sex stuff really does feel like depicted from the point of view of somebody who's never really had non quote unquote non-traditional sex. Right. And, and so again, like big, big quotes because for, seriously, what is traditional sex? Right. But you guys, I think generally you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so the, the movie and the book uh, are, are very explicit about trying to connect uh, Christian's, trauma as a child and also his experience of being essentially assaulted by Mrs. Robinson as a 15 year old being a submissive to his being a dominant. Um, I think that the line that the movie itself is trying to draw is that him being a submissive led him to uh, feel like he has to control every aspect of his life, which has led him to be a violent dominant. Right. Um, And that is not, those two are uh, it's a danger it's dangerous to conflate the two what what the movie ends up saying and I, I suppose it's entirely possible that the source material ends up saying the same thing whether it's saying it intentionally or not because I don't I don't know that I believe anybody had ill intent it seems more like they didn't realize what the ultimate message was and that right. ultimate message seems to be if you're into anything considered to be overly risque or off color by you know most of middle america it must be because you are damaged in some way right this must be the result of some some trauma or something uh being visited upon you that warped you in such a way and that's not true yeah if yeah if you're part of the bdsm community you are not 50 shades of fucked up 
as Christian would say. God, right. Um, like on a list of eye rolly grown moments, uh, that was near the bottom. Cause I got up and cheered. I was like, it was almost <laughs> the title. Hooray. <laughs> um, and, and anyone who's part of the community doesn't need me to tell them. No, I think, I think I'm this is saying. more, this is more for anybody who, who leans towards the point of view that it's, it's, oh, it's weird or it's bad or like, well, or if you're into that, you must be in whatever. Like, no. Yeah. Do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, I, I do like that. The, I, I would say that if anything came from, uh, this movie it's that like it it got bdsm in the in the in the uh, mainstream bdsm and, it, and now in middle america every night they're talking to the kids over you know cornbread and mashed potatoes <laughs> about people call it the 50 shades effect and all they're talking about is doms and subs oh uh, yeah hey jimmy how was school today you get your homework done great don't give a shit doms and subs <laughs> Uh, um, so we are, we're, we're running low on time. You got anything else you wanted to cover before we head out? Two things. Uh, one, I, I really do find this movie fascinating. Yeah. Not, and again, like I can't, it's 50 shades of gray. There is, we, even the people that love 50 shades of gray, I don't think defend it as, uh, the pinnacle of artistry. Uh, we, we all have an idea of what it is before we sit down to watch it. But if you open your mind up, not, it's not gonna, I don't think it's going to change your life. It is fascinating. Um, it is fascinating due to its due to its uh, sheer like the alien feeling of it and the robotic feeling of it. And then when I started thinking about during this conversation, which didn't occur to me while I was watching, but now I can't get it out of my head, is that you could swap out Christian Grey with David from Prometheus and Alien Covenant, and the movie would not change substantially. <laughs> That's the most fascinating, like, I really want to read, like, the John Spates draft of Fifty Shades of Grey, where there, <laughs> where there's David, and there's way more xenomorphs, right? And, like, and they're just all over. And, like, because he earns all of their trust, they're just around. Like, they watch, it's like, um, it's like an Eyes Wide Shut when Tom Cruise goes to the, the secret sex party. Yeah. And there's just, like, people having sex, and they're surrounded by other people wearing masks. It's like that, but it's David and Dakota Johnson surrounded by very patient statuesque xenomorphs yeah i'm in uh yeah i'm into it i i can even imagine the scene where he's like i'm going to introduce you to my playroom and she's like with an xbox and it's just full of eggs and yes that's right and eggs box (laughs) (laughs) and and there's this long pause and dakota johnson's like a slow zoom into her face as if a realization is dawning and then wait what Kiss, kiss, hey. There are so many moments where he says a weird thing, and she goes, "What?" <laughs> it like it. It's shocking to me. It like it. It. it I mean, it made me uncomfortable because it. It made me feel like that character was fifteen. Yes, it, um, there's. It adds a bizarrely predatory element to Christian Gray's character. Yeah, because it really and it's not obviously Dakota Johnson is not a child. Yes. Um Anna is not depicted as a child. She's depicted, she's, you know, she's definitely relatively young and inexperienced, but you have those moments that really do almost cast her as a 15 year old girl. And it takes this thing, which already felt unsafe, let's say, (laughs) and, and makes it even creepier. And again, it's, if the movie seemed aware 
of this, then I can't point to it as an issue. It it maybe would not be my favorite story, but at least there'd be awareness. It feels right. like the movie is not aware. And I, I can't, without having explored more of this series, I can't say with any certainty at all whether or not this gets recontextualized later or backfilled in some way. Yeah, since you mentioned that aspect, that aspect super <laughs> creepy town. What? 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 Let I... me show you my beast, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, shout out to Danny Elfman who did the score. Which weird? I mean, he likes scoring, yeah, and like he's great at it, and he's got boom. Danny Elfman scored. It's just so weird that like the guy from Oingo Boingo scored Fifty Shades of Grey. The guy from Oingo Boingo who also scored Batman and Spider-Man scored Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, like, all right. Sometimes sometimes the universe just places these nuggets in front of you and you're left to figure out what to do with it. Yeah, sometimes you go from the Dark Knight to the Fifty Shades of Grey. He didn't do that one. That was uh, that was Hans Zimmer. No, Dark Dark Knight, as in uh, like Batman, is the Dark Knight, not the movie. So like, it's he did still relevant. he did the one that has Prince. It music still in works. It. You know what I'm saying? You get it. You get it. Do you want to get wanna, it? Do you want to get nuts, Jack? Oh, Come shit. on, let's get nuts. Damn. Speaking of nuts, hey, <laughs> make sure that you go nuts by subscribing to this podcast. You know where to find it, Podbean. Google Play Store, iTunes, Snitch, Stitcher, Pramble Bus. That's where you can find this on the PrambleBus.com platform. And make sure you you follow us on Twitter Wars. That's Missing Outcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G. C-A- <laughs> missing cast. Missing outcast. What is it? M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Yes. There we go. I'm drunk. We got them. <laughs> um, thank you for joining us here on uh, Missing Out. Oh, wait. Uh, where are you? Where's your personal Twitter? Oh, damn. Uh, you can find me at Tari J. <laughs> the mechanism is breaking down. T-R-I-J-Y. What about you, Lex Michael? Uh, I'm all over social media at the Lex Michael. Dope. So t- tune in every Tuesday here at Missing Outcast. Missing Out. Uh, may I bite that lip off? What? <laughs> <laughs> Did you know a turkey puppet once ran for the presidency of Ireland? Did you know that meat once rained from the skies of Kentucky? Did you know that there was an emperor of the United States for a while? Then listen to the Wikiship Down podcast. We live in an age when the sum total of humanity's knowledge can be found in your pocket on a smartphone at any given time. But when that knowledge is pure editable, like it is on Wikipedia, what does that say about mankind? So follow us down the digital rabbit hole as we drink, joke, and curse our way through the random button on Wikipedia and see where our journey through humanity's knowledge takes us. While you're at it, follow us on all social media at Wikiship Down. I'm Ruth Ann. I'm Ryan. And be sure to find us every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts.